0: Live as if you were to die tomorrow. or Learn as if you were to live forever. But I did what most people do, especially nowadays, which is Google it, because I guess Google has all the answers. It took three years to tell my dad, and my sister, and my family.
1: Genetics isn't always black and white, and the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. I'm Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor, constantly headlines in the news about genetics, but few news stories focus on the patient experience. At Grey Genetics, we are collecting patient stories, your stories. Every other Tuesday, we share an interview with a patient or a genetic counselor.
0: That's kind of what I was told is okay, like father's dominant, mother's usually recessive, here's the deal, but that's obviously not how it works. What I would advise someone is making sure to go through genetic counseling, because because I don't want them to go through that same path that I took
1: Seth Rotberg is a rare disease advocate and a motivational speaker. His mother fought a 17-year battle with a rare genetic disease known as Huntington's disease, and at the age of 20, Seth also tested positive for HD. Seth is an active member of the HD community and currently sits on the board of the Huntington's Disease Youth Organization. His biggest passion is supporting young people in making sure they have the right resources and support, whether they are impacted by HD or another rare or chronic health condition. Seth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and speaking with me.:
0: Yes, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it a lot.
1: So first to start off with what is Huntington's disease? I, I feel like it's a genetic condition that there's some familiarity of in the general public, but maybe with some misinformation. So how would you define Huntington's disease?
0: Huntington's disease, which I may refer to at some points as hD, is a rare neurological genetic disease, slowly deteriorating a person's physical and cognitive abilities. So symptoms not only include these wobbly movements, slurred speech, uh, twitching, but they also include cognitive symptoms and psychiatric symptoms, which may include short-term memory loss, difficulty with concentration, mood swings that are similar to bipolar, among other things, and others say Huntington's disease is like having ALS, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's all into one, and like many rare diseases, there's no cure, and each child of a parent has a 50-50 chance of inheriting it.
1: Mm -hmm. And if, um, like in your case, you had testing done, you know that you inherited a mutation from your mom, So at this point, do you say that you have Huntington's disease, or is that not a term that you use for someone who doesn't show symptoms yet?
0: That's a great question. And to be honest, people do get confused because when you say that you have a disease, they automatically say, okay, you're diagnosed. But Huntington's disease is very different because, of course, my mom had it. I tested positive for it. So I'm a gene carrier but I don't have any symptoms currently. However, I know that one day I'm going to start developing symptoms, just like my mom, unless there's a cure, unless there's a way to slow down HD altogether. But I would say, no, I'm not diagnosed with it, but it still doesn't change the fact that I know 100% that I'm going to have the disease, and eventually I will show symptoms unless we find a cure.
1: Right. So, I'd, yeah, I'd love to back up and ask you about your mother. Um, I know you gave a great TEDx talk that I'll include in the show notes, um, and you mentioned in there that you learned that your mother had Huntington's disease when you were 15 years old. Um, how, how did you learn about that diagnosis? Did she tell you that? Did your mother tell you that? Like, did you did did you have any idea what Huntington's disease was before you learned that your mother had that condition?
0: No idea about what that was or anything about the rare disease space or, you know, most conditions I've heard up to that point involved anything related to cancer. My mom was actually misdiagnosed for about five to seven years when the doctor said that she had bipolar disorder, or major depression, which we later found out were symptoms of Huntington's disease. But I remember uh, very clearly when my parents sat me down at the kitchen table saying, we want to let you know that, you know, mom has this disease called Huntington's disease, but I don't remember much else. I don't know if, if they were still trying to grasp it and learn more about it. But I did what most people do, especially nowadays, which is Google it, because I guess Google has all the answers. (laughs) And seeing all the symptoms that my mom was showing align with what the disease entails was definitely tough.
1: I was forgetting that you're young enough <laughs> that that you had Google when you were 15. I did not. Um, <laughs> so when you were doing that Googling, did you come across the inheritance pattern and realize at that point that you were get, you had a 50% chance of um, also developing Huntington's disease? Or did you realize that later?
0: I wish I realized it at that point. Uh, for some reason, I saw that it was genetic. I saw that each child has a 50-50 chance of inheriting it. But I didn't really put two and two together, and I think that's because my junior year in high school, in my biology class, I did what um, most people know—the Punnett squares, and you have to match like you know your your X's and your O's, and your uppercase, lowercase, your dominant, and recessive. And when we came across diseases, uh, Huntington's disease was actually in the book, which I remember. And I talked to my teacher about it and he's like, well, your dad's dominant, so you aren't at risk. But of course, (laughs) that's not how how HD and a lot of these rare diseases work where, you know, just because your your dad may be dominant and doesn't have it doesn't mean that you may not get it. And so I kind of brushed it aside until I went to college and started doing more research and realizing, oh, crap, I actually am at risk and I could end up inheriting this disease.
1: So you're that—that's surprising and a little bit appalling to me that your biology teacher. (laughs) Well, I mean, he said said that. Did did, was he saying like males are dominant or Huntington's is inherited through males? Or I like I don't even understand what he could have meant. Yeah, well,
0: from from my understanding is like, you know, the like when you do those Punnett squares, you have like the dominant and then the recessive and. I just remember hearing that, like, the father is usually has the dominant genes and the mother's recessive. At least that's what the biology book said. Uh, I'm not saying in, in, in any way that that's true. I think I'm a big believer in, you know, equality. And, and I could probably talk about that on, on another, you know, podcast or whatever. But that's kind of what I was told is, okay, like, father's dominant, mother's usually recessive. Here's the deal. But that's obviously not how it works.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I do feel like like one issue in like genetic counseling, the reason genetic counseling can take so long is like nobody comes comes in with like a blank slate idea of genetics. Like everybody comes in with these notions. Like I think when I was fifteen, my biology teacher said, um, "Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I've never heard that particular one."
0: <laughs> I know. I, I mean, it's crazy um, to to even think about that. Like looking back now, I. Kind of think it's a little funny, but at the same time, I'm like, wow, was I really taught this, <laughs> and is it still being taught similarly nowadays?
1: Yeah. So you said that your mother was actually misdiagnosed for a number of years. Um, looking back, like, how old was she, and how old were you when she was actually starting showing symptoms? I'm wondering, like, what was your family life? What was your family life like before? Huntington's disease and how did it change and was there a big shift when she got that diagnosis or not so much because she'd already been having those symptoms for a number of years and just had, hadn't gotten a correct diagnosis.
0: That's tough. Uh again, I guess including the misdiagnosis, she probably started showing symptoms at the age of like 43 or so when I was about 8 and the cha- the challenge with that was I don't really remember much of my mom being healthy you know my memories or most of them are of her being sick whether it's again this misdiagnosis or when we realized it was actually HD the whole time Mm -hmm. so that that's been very tough especially now with uh my mom no longer uh here with us she passed away and in March of 2015, okay. and people say, "Oh, you know, remember of the memories, remember all the good times." And I'm like, "I don't. I unfortunately don't because I lived with it my whole life." Um, and that that just right there made me think, "Well, how can I relive it?" And some of the things I I did was I asked my mom's brothers and sisters about her. I asked my dad about her. We have old films that I plan on. Putting in into DVDs of when my mom was healthy per se and and looking back at that and looking at those types of memories
1: yeah other or other people's memories are recorded yeah,
0: yeah, like and hearing all these stories I didn't know about my mom I was like wow she was she was a rock star, like I didn't even know any of this stuff, and it was just cool to hear some of these things from her from her family telling me all the the funny and and crazy stories of, of her life.
1: Yeah. And you have one sister, is that right?
0: Yes. Older sister.
1: Okay. And how much older is she? Like, does she have a lot more memories of your mom when she was healthy?
0: So my sister is about three, three years older, three years, three months to be exact. (laughs) Uh And I would say yes. Again, I, I, I would imagine so, but I'm not, quite sure uh again she had like those extra three or so years three maybe four years so, uh-huh. and even after that she uh, went when my mom was officially diagnosed she was off to college in arizona because she she. i'm from the massachusetts area and she hates the winter she hates the cold so i don't blame her <laughs> so she's like I- i'm getting out of here i need something warm and can't go wrong with arizona so she's uh she's out there and I dealt with a lot of it because I was in high school when she got officially diagnosed and still trying to accept it and grasp it. But it, it was definitely very challenging to kind of deal with that every single day. Hmm.
1: Were you, um, did your mother stay at home the whole time? Like your, I think you said in your TEDx talk, your father was the main caretaker for her.
0: Yeah. My dad was the, caretaker for the most part again i helped with things around the house had additional responsibilities taking her out for her errands driving her places or picking things up for her but she actually had a bad fall due to her physical symptoms where she ended up actually fracturing her vertebrae and it was very scary uh because we didn't know what it was. We brought her to a local hospital. They couldn't figure it out. We brought her into Mass General Hospital where they said, there's a chance your mother may not walk again. And hearing that was definitely difficult to to accept and acknowledge. And that was true later on. But we really just wanted her to to be okay. And luckily she was. She went to rehab to try to work on mobility and and getting her strength back but eventually just wasn't working as well and she ended up in a nursing home and kind of lived there for her those last few years of her life
1: yeah um and so and when you left for college was she still living at home at that point
0: uh yes. I believe so. Jeez, I I feel like I'm mixing up all my years. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she was she was at home. Um Okay. Let's see. For I want to say the f- first year in college and then after that she wasn't. Yeah, because okay. I remember when I was I tested and I tested when I was 20 and I was a sophomore and i remember visiting her in the nursing home so yeah it was only a year into college after that where she had her bad fall and wasn't wasn't home
1: okay yeah yeah i was partly asking because i know in in your tedx talk um you you say you had you had genetic testing done for Huntington's disease when you were in college at age twenty. And you said that you were tired of living with the unknown. So I was just kind of wondering, you know, where your mother was in her diagnosis and how she was doing physically and mentally and how how you were kind of looking at that. And did you I mean, did you think about that kind of, did it come up when, you know, other people in college are talking about future plans and you're thinking about like majors and careers or do you feel like it just impacted you kind of psychologically on a day-to-day basis of just having it hanging over you, of not knowing whether, you know, you'd be positive or negative?
0: I would say I didn't really think of my mom uh, when trying to figure out if I wanted to test or not. and none of those factors regarding what my friends both in college and my friends from home were were kind of talking about because for me it was more about how is this going to impact my life will it impact my future and how so and I and I will agree though that psychologically it definitely had a huge impact and still has a huge impact on me today and that's Mm -hmm. something I'm trying to be more open about I'm a big believer in it's okay to be vulnerable. So if you're having a bad day and someone says, how are you? You don't have to give the typical, I'm good. How are you? You can say, Hey, actually having a tough day. And do you have, do you have five minutes or 10 minutes to chat? Uh, it's, it's very tough because I mean, I'll speak on behalf of myself. I, I don't want people to feel bad for me. I don't want people to to judge me for having a bad day or two and maybe overthinking it. but when you're living in in the shoes knowing you may end up just like your parent which is what I was thinking all the time it was very tough uh mentally and and emotionally but what kind of led me to going through testing was i think just little things here and there that reminded me of my mom that resonated with her symptoms so if i forgot something or dropped something, tripped over a a cord, I would think, oh, this, this has to be Huntington's or, or is this just in my head? And I just think I couldn't continue to live life knowing whether or not that, that it was that or not. And today, if, if I do do that, I'm just, I kind of brush it off now because I'm like, yeah, it is what it is.
1: And so when you decided to have testing done, did you did you come to that decision on your own or were you talking to friends or how did you actually go about having testing done once you decided that's what you wanted to do?
0: I actually thought about getting tested in my freshman year and I spoke with my sister and my aunt about it. When talking to my sister it, and my aunt, I think I just realized I wasn't ready. They kind of just said it's a very personal decision. It's mm-hmm. it's a big one. You can't go back in time once going through it and try to focus on college, try to focus on everything else that's going on in life. And I was like, OK, I'll just I'll do that. And then the following year, I was just kind of over it. I, I just I, I needed to know I'm a planner, so I wanted to plan ahead of time. So from that point on, I, I told a few friends. I said, hey, listen, I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to go get tested. One of my friends being someone I met in the Huntington's disease space, another young person who I who I met actually my sophomore year, because someone who lived down the hall from me was like, oh, yeah, my friend's coming to visit and her mom has Huntington's. And I was like, wait, there's other young people? Like, I'm not the only one because I didn't know much about it. And once meeting her, I was just like, wow, I'm, I know... F- no longer feel that sense of isolation. I don't have to explain myself. She understands where I'm coming from. And that kind of opened doors to meet all these other amazing advocates in the HD space.
1: When you had genetic testing done for Huntington's, um, like again, kind of in your TEDx talk, you said, which it was just like, so well done. So I keep referring back to (laughs) it. (laughs) Um, So you you said that you were you thought you were prepared to receive the diagnosis, but then realized you weren't, and you were kind of exchanging this unknown that had been hanging over you for this label. Um, So what was that like, like the shift from having this unknown to having this something that you knew was definitely going to impact you in the future?
0: Well, to take a step back, I felt like my way of going about testing wasn't the the quote-unquote proper way to go about it. And I learned from that. And that's why I, I do share my story through that TEDx talk or I share my story to others because I don't want them to go through that same path that I took, which was not getting genetic counseling, not going to a neurologist who truly understood what Huntington's disease was. Because when I went in, he, he asked me if I knew about the history and the basics. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. And then a genetic counselor came in for my test results two weeks later. but she wasn't there for the first thing, so obviously when I heard the results, I just kind of just blocked out everything that there, the neurologist told me because I just was like, okay, what what's those next steps now for me? What do I do next? Who, who am I going to tell first? I had a friend with me, but again, she was in the waiting room. She probably should have been in the office with me getting those results so that everything I forgot she could have reminded me later, uh, but it, it definitely just kind of changed my life on being able, one, to accept it and then to how was I going to take those next steps and what were those next steps to stay involved.
1: We'll be back with Test story in just a minute. A few weeks ago, Gray Genetics launched two new services just for you. Have you taken a 23andMe DNA test and want to discuss the results of your report? Does cancer run in your family and you want a certified genetic counselor to give you a personalized risk assessment? If so, or if you have other genetics related questions, then these new services are for you. Upload your family history or DNA reports and a genetic counselor will review them and return a personalized review to you in three to five business days. Check out these services on graygenetics.com. That's G-R-E-Y genetics Looking back, do you think that testing at that point in your life made sense for you? And, you know, you just wish that it had been done differently with a neurologist who was more knowledgeable about Huntington's and speaking with a genetic counselor beforehand? Or would, would you advise someone in a similar situation to go through some counseling, but maybe to try to hold off on testing?
0: So I, I'll i never tell someone what they should or shouldn't do. I, I definitely think testing, whether it's for Huntington's disease or another genetic disease, it's, it's a personal decision. It should be based on what the person wants, not what family wants or what friends suggest, because you're the one that's making that decision. You're the one that has to live with that decision, whether it's you test positive or even negative. And I have friends who go into their results and tested negative, but they have the survivor's guilt of like, mm-hmm. oh, now I feel disconnected. I feel like I'm not a part of this anymore. Or why, why, why did I test negative, but my sibling tested positive? And so it's a very personal decision, but what I would advise someone is making sure to go through genetic counseling because the role that they have is, is such an important one where they can give you the right resources, connect you to the right support, um and just make sure that you're you know your next steps whether you do test positive or negative uh there shouldn't be a timetable either to you know get tested like it shouldn't be like okay you go in this day and you're going to find out two weeks if you don't want to find out you could wait up to a year you could wait you could like you know what i don't i'm not ready for it yet and that's fine um Mm -hmm. even after the fact i didn't I didn't go to genetic counseling until like six years after, uh, I decided I was like, you know what, I'm interested in family planning and maybe I should ask a genetic counselor how to go about that. And it was helpful. It was great to go back and just talk to someone about it, about what are my family planning options.
1: Yeah. Did you, um, that's interesting that you, you went so many years after your diagnosis because in, I know in your TED TEDx talk at the end you know, you specifically recommend that people seek out genetic counseling if they're interested in testing. Um, But I was wondering, you know, it was obvious from your talk that you hadn't had that (laughs) counseling. And I was wondering if that was just based on like hearing other people's stories with maybe like a little bit smoother path to a diagnosis. Um, But when when you went for genetic counseling six years later, then did you you go with a partner or did you just go by yourself to hear about the options?
0: I just went by myself because I was just curious about it. Because what I always knew about was I knew about adoption. I learned about IVF with PGD. Wanted to hear a little bit more about those two options. And then they're like, well, there's this third option called sperm donation. I was like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. And, you know, I joke about it sometimes in my talks because I I say, you know, which of my lucky friends is going to be the one that gives me the, the sperm donation or which, you know, celebrity or athlete is do I have to reach out and do like a donation request and say, Hey, looking for when they ask for a raffle, I'm like, no, actually I need something bigger than that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, you know, here's a third option I didn't even think of, but, um, yeah, I, I I think just hearing other people in the community's experiences and hearing what they had to go through and I was like, "Whoa, I didn't have to do any of that. Why, Why not? Oh crap. I should have done all that. That sounds great.
1: Yeah. Yeah um, and so a few years after you were diagnosed you started getting more involved with HD groups which I'm I mean I'm guessing as part of this like hearing more about other people's experiences and genetic counseling and different support groups that people were connected with earlier. What pushed you to get involved more with HD groups and did did that help you a lot in coping with your diagnosis?
0: It definitely helped me and even before I got involved with those groups I actually was running my own Through and Through Basketball charity event with a good friend of mine back in my hometown. And to be honest, it was just kind of my way to keep busy, keep my mind off of first off testing, but then even getting more involved after. It was kind of just my way of giving back. I wanted to get more involved just because if I don't, who's going to do it? And if I sit around and do nothing about it, we're not going to get one step closer to a cure. So I really just. Started doing fundraising and advocacy efforts uh, within these local HD, well, local and national HD organizations. That I just I wanted to help, and I I realized, hey, why not use my results as a motivation to keep keep going to fight back and get more involved
1: yeah and so at that point your results were a big motivator but you actually hadn't told your your father or your sister about your results is that right <laughs> yeah, so they thought yeah you were doing this kind of based on just on your fit like your mother motivating you instead of your own your own testing motivating you yeah
0: yeah i mean most people again i, I only told a few friends and it's funny in my tedx talk i actually said it took two years and then after after that i kind of looked back at it and realize actually it took 3 years to tell my dad and my sister and my family. It was just it was a tough decision and I over time I I did tell a few more friends here and there and then started becoming more comfortable about it. And I realized if I really wanted to make a difference and really wanted to like share my story, so not just about my mom but me too, then why not? Talk about the impact H D has on a young adult like myself. And that's kind of where I decided, you know what, I need to tell my dad, I need to tell my sister and and let them know.
1: Yeah. And I think was it it was around the same time that one of your close friends, um, your senior in college died in an accident, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. My one of my uh good friends, Jay Kaufman, he uh he unfortunately passed away in a off-campus you know accident and it was actually the day before our our spring and final semester at college and I you know I didn't know Jake as long as a lot of his other friends but the impact he had on my life for that shorter period of time really really just I guess I don't even know the word words for it but just really pushed me to be more about doing better for others and kind of living in the moment and Jake always just kind of focused on today didn't work don't didn't worry too much about the future put the past in the past and that just resonated with me to say well if if he can do this why can't I and how do I keep his memory alive by kind of living in the moment and when I do have tough days you know I could think okay well what would Jake do and I I wouldn't always agree with his decisions but at the at the end of the day he was someone who kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone at times, but in a good way. And he was just very supportive. I, I mean, I, I could give you one one quick example where he came to one of my charity events and he left. And then there's a huge snowstorm and he's like, I promise I'm coming back for it. Now, he lives 45 minutes away. I said, don't worry about it. But he was willing to do whatever it takes just to come back to show his support. And it was just little things like that meant so much more to me and others that he touched, uh, during his life.
1: Yeah. And I'm guessing just losing a friend when you were so young, but he was also so young made you like maybe adjust your perspective on looking at your future kind of where, you know, in principle, you're, you're going to develop symptoms of Huntington's at some point, but just that, um, you know you never would have expected someone so young and healthy to die so young, and that anything can happen in the meantime,
0: and then that's exactly it is any anything could happen and life it just made me appreciate life a lot more um it, you know it should, what was that? Uh,
1: yeah, what was that I know you had a the phrase that was like in his yearbook and that yeah, his parents actually put on his tombstone, yeah,
0: yeah, so in his yearbook. There is this quote. It is actually by Gandhi: uh, "Live as if you were to die tomorrow, learn as if you were to live forever." And it was on his headstone. And I kept looking at that quote when I would visit his, you know, visit the cemetery, and say, so "I really like this quote. It it resonates with me about kind of living in the moment, and not just for him, but for my mom too. You know, live as if you were to die tomorrow. You know, learn as if you were to live forever." And I ended up getting a tattoo of that on my back. And uh, I, I told myself I would never get a tattoo. And here we are with, <laughs> with one on my back where it's hidden enough where people may not know it. And then I do have another another one, my last one, because uh, my dad was not happy with the first one. And the second one, he was like, you better not get any more. And I said, no, no, don't worry, because this one's on my shoulder. And it's a tree of life to resemble growth and uh, different Branches may resemble different values of mine, like family, friends, love, compassion. So it's just you know things like this and that second tattoo I actually got with a buddy of mine who convinced me in a way to to get like a matching tattoo with him.
1: Wow! Uh-huh. And your dad has been <laughs> in, each, in each tattoo. <laughs> Something, yeah.
0: I mean, the first one he was like, "Oh, I have two crazy kids," like jokingly. The second one he just was like, "Oh, gee, are you serious?" Uh. But, you know, the the second one was was really cool because the friend that got it with me isn't he doesn't come from a HD family. And Mm -hmm. he was like, it's not about that. It's about like the brotherhood, the 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 impact that I had on his life and vice versa. So it was pretty cool to. For him to be a part of that or for me to be a part of his life, too.
1: Yeah. And when you. When you told your dad about your diagnosis, um, I think it was, I mean, took you three years. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you kind of building up to it. And then his reaction was like, you know, um, pretty casual. Is that right? Is that a fair characterization? Very
0: casual. And <laughs> it was, it wasn't a bad thing. I just, it caught me off guard because I thought he was going to be angry or frustrated. And he just was very confident that the research that's been happening. And the progress that's been made is just, we have to continue to push forward and focus on that because they're, they are getting a step closer to a cure. And he's just as confident I, as I am that there will be a cure, or at least something that slows it down dramatically.
1: Yeah. And how far along do you see that research being? Do you think that it's something that Really has the potential to impact you and other people in your generation, or do you think it's going to be something that could even help people who are who are older than you and already symptomatic, or is it going to be something maybe for the next generation?
0: That's a tough question, and I I don't want to promise anything. Uh, Again, I'm not a researcher, but from what I know and what I realize is that when I was 15, there's only probably one trial out there and now there's a bunch of different trials there's several that are related to gene therapy there's one that might go into uh an oral pill another one that's like a spinal injection so there's a lot of great things happening in the hd space the biggest thing though is everything takes time you know a clinical trial it doesn't just happen overnight and that's i think the challenge with a lot of these rare disease Communities and again, I'll speak on my behalf. But uh, I've learned that a clinical trial takes a lot of time. It it can take up to ten, fifteen years, and then if it doesn't get approved, you start all over. And that funding doesn't just get refunded. Like these companies put in millions, maybe even billions of dollars into the, uh, these trials. But what's mm-hmm. exciting with with HD right now is we do have a trial going on in phase three. That's supposed to help lower the Huntington protein and uh, delay or even slow down HD. So that being said, because there's so much in the pipeline right now, I, I am a big believer that it will help my generation and the ones after me. But for those that are currently symptomatic, I, I think it just depends on what stage that they're in. If they're towards the end of their you know HD struggles, I, I'm not sure. be honest uh if they're at the beginning i still think there's there's hope but that they you know we all have to be patient in this this whole journey because we want to make sure one it's safe two it's effective and three obviously that it's approved and that it's it's accessible to the community
1: in your tedx talk when you were talking about you know the time between your diagnosis and when you actually disclosed it to your family members you talked about um the genetic disease, was it? yeah, um, and it kind of made me me wonder. I hadn't thought before about you know people who might have had testing done and know like already know that they tested positive for Huntington's, but not shared that with people. Like in your experience in the HD community, is that actually pretty common for for people to have had testing done to know their status, but not to have shared it with family or with friends, or to be sharing only with a more limited circle of people? Yeah, I
0: mean there are some people who even don't share that Huntington's disease runs in their family or their family wants to keep it a big secret I mean that was a while ago I don't really see that as much regarding their I guess results a lot of people are open especially at these like conferences and conventions because my first convention I I tested positive I didn't tell a lot of people and I meet these people and the like first two questions I get is oh who in your family has it and oh have you tested And i'm like hey i just met you and uh, (laughs) you know you're asking all these personal questions and so i think people are more comfortable to talk to others within the space about it than they are maybe outside the space but i really think it's a case by case uh i i do think more and more people are becoming comfortable as long as they have the right support system and the right resources to to feel okay sharing their their results with others but even there are people in, in the community that, that I know very well and I don't know their results because I, I just don't want to ask them. That's, that's their decision if they want to tell me or not. But I don't want to be like, hey, by the way, did you, are you positive or negative? Like, I just, for mm-hmm. me, that's just too too personal. If they want to share it, they can. But if not, then that's totally fine.
1: Yeah. Uh, for someone who's listening, who actually has a family history of Huntington's disease um but you know hasn't been involved in the hd community hasn't had testing done may or may not be at risk but they have some some family history and know some family members who are at risk and are interested in more information or possibly getting involved like what are the best resources for them like where would you tell someone to start
0: well uh, so i sit on this uh this board For the Huntington's Disease Youth Organization that supports young people impacted by HD worldwide, we provide social, emotional, educational support. Uh, We're also our our content on our site, uh, which is www.hdyo.org, is translated in 14 different languages. So I think that's a good starting point for people where they can. Uh, whether they're a child, they're a young adult, teenager, a parent, a researcher, we we have different sections based on what they're looking for. One of the biggest Mm -hmm. things is how do you talk to your children about Huntington's disease? Um, And we have a whole section about that, along with one of our, one of my other board members has written a book about it, which I think is very great. And then another, again, resources from the uh Huntington's disease society of america also known as hdsa and they're kind of like the premier nonprofit in the u.s and probably the biggest or one of the biggest or if not the biggest hd organization i would say worldwide um you know they have resources for in-person support groups uh center of excellences which is those areas or those hospitals or uh you know i guess doctors and specialists that focus specifically on hd so they have a lot of great resources as well i think those two are are my two my two main ones there's a bunch i mean and i i don't think one's better than the other uh the last one actually that i will will like to say is this uh it's based on research updates it's called hd buzz uh Uh hd buzz is is amazing because they it's it's i think hd net and they break down the science into things that I can understand. And and I'm not a sci- scientist-y type person, but if I can understand what they're telling me, that makes it so much easier and so much more exciting to, for me to be like, oh, wow, I actually get what they're talking about and instead of like a research explaining all these complicated scientific words that I have no idea what, what they're saying. And then I have to like translate it or I'll re- reach out to one of the guys who who runs are like can you explain this to me i have no idea what they just said <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah awesome good well, we'll, we'll include all those those three organizations in the show notes then working in genetics i feel like huntington's is the one genetic condition that people in the general public often have heard of and there's there's some amount of awareness around it um partly because it is one of those conditions that shows up in someone's sophomore year of high school biology textbook, <laughs> kind of a class, you know, it's like, it's like yeah. the classic example of an autosomal dominant condition with like in genetics, we say hundred percent penetrance, which isn't always the case. So it's just kind of like an archetype of a genetic condition. Um, but what are, what are some misconceptions that you run into that people have about Huntington's and what do you wish that physicians or non-physicians knew about huntingtons or understood about huntingtons that you feel like really isn't the case from what you've seen
0: there's so many different unfortunately misconceptions (laughs) i mean one of the biggest ones was when my mom had these wobbly movements and this poor balance and slurred speech people were like oh does she have a drinking problem is she has she been drinking which it's it's a that's one of the biggest misconceptions is are they drunk versus just Mm -hmm. that's the symptoms uh, another one is, you know, you have to be patient with just in general, whether it's with someone who has HD or someone else. But I, I know that that's been a struggle. I've seen it with people just like losing their patience because they don't understand why the person's acting a certain way. Uh, again,
1: like the per- the personality. Yeah. Yeah. The
0: personality or like they're being really maybe they're just very tired because their medication or, you know, my mom, I felt like was always late um for everything or it could have just also been uh, a Jewish thing I feel like (laughs) but that's just that's just me uh I just yeah there's just like little things that would bug me about my mom I was like I don't get it like is she purposely trying to make us later why why'd she forget that I just told her about it you know and so just trying to remind people also not to assume that they know what's going on one of the biggest things for me is I felt like I was always being judged which is why I was so embarrassed to be out in public with my mom or have friends over because I was like I don't want them to see my mom like they're not going to understand they're going to judge me and not want to be my friend or they're going to like think differently of me and that's a big thing in today's society where there's any condition is you know the the feeling of being judged about how you're how you look or how you react to things or just your personality in general
1: Yeah. Um, Great. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Um, I think this is going to be really people and you also you I know you recently did a podcast interview with Kira Deneen for DNA Today so this podcast will be coming out the end of April so for anyone listening they can watch for her podcast episode another interview with you that should be coming out beginning of May is that right yes oh May May 3rd I just saw the notes here May 3rd yes
0: <laughs> yes I, I believe it's, it's going to be out then so I'm excited I appreciate you having me on and you know I, it's just another outlet to understand what it's like to be a young person impacted by a genetic condition and then kind of the, the lifestyle I had to adjust to when learning about this news.
1: If you'd like to share your story, send an email to podcast at graygenetics.com. Patient Stories is an ad-free podcast and is unaffiliated with any commercial genetic testing laboratories. We would like to keep it that way. You can now donate to Patient Stories online by going to graygenetics.com podcast donate. If you don't want to make a monetary donation but still want to support the show in another way, leaving a review on iTunes or sharing our episodes through social media also makes a big difference.
0: The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendation.